So we are making our way through the sacred season of Advent, a season of preparation, a season of anticipation, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And our theme this year is draw near. You've heard that phrase a couple of times. We've said it, we've sung it. And we're looking at the art of Advent during this season. We're trying to see the sacred season through the eyes and the ears of the artists inviting them to show us things that we otherwise may not notice. Leonardo da Vinci once famously said, the artist sees what others only catch a glimpse of. And so we are inviting them to show us new things in this season. Last week we heard from a poet by the name of Sarah R., a poem entitled Draw Near, the, the, the inspiration from this series came from, it's printed on the back of the insert that you find there in your worship bulletin. And I want to let you know that next week we are in for a very special treat uh, as our choir will share with us Vivaldi's Gloria, and we will have a chamber orchestra here this, that morning, and you will not want to miss that. So be sure that you are here next Sunday. Our scripture text this morning is from Romans chapter 8, and as we'll hear the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, compares this waiting for the future, yearning for the redemption of creation, the glory of the children of God, he, he makes the analogy between that waiting with labor pains. Now keep in mind that the early church believed that Jesus' return was imminent. It would happen any moment certainly within their lifetime, but day after day, year after year, they started to grow impatient and wondered if it would ever come. They were having to learn how to live in this in-between times, between the already and the not yet. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting is that Paul, who was writing to what must have been a predominantly male audience, the culture of the biblical times was very patriarchal, but yet he uses this image of labor pains. He invokes this image, writing to males that they never have experienced. But actually, biblical scholars would point out that birth pains are mentioned throughout the Bible. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, not only that, but it was so basic to the Jewish, in fact, all of the human experience that chapter 3 of Genesis specifically mentions pain in childbirth as being one of the curses of the fall of Adam and Eve. One New Testament scholar, Conrad Gempf, says this. He says, the most obvious reason for using the image of birth pangs is the pain of childbirth is such an intense and total pain. I was waiting for an amen from some woman. So I assumed there was going to be one that would say, such a intense and total pain, one that everyone will have some knowledge of. So here in this text, Paul speaks of a productive pain, pain that won't always be with us in that, in that this is a word of hope. Some scholars even point to this passage and say that this, this is the reversal of the curse of Genesis chapter 3. So I invite you to listen to this word of hope from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. The scripture is from Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of a corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. The word of God for the people of God. So patience is not my spiritual gift. I would like to think that I have others, sarcasm, procrastination, but patience is not one of my spiritual gifts. And as such, I don't always do well this time of year. Advent is a season of preparation, of of getting ready, of watching and listening and waiting. Therefore, for a lot of us, Advent can be torturous, especially for children and any of us that have that inner child that we still carry within us. It's a season of waiting, waiting for a future that sometimes feels like it will never come. We are a culture, aren't we, that doesn't like to wait. In fact, I might say that we are one of the most impatient people that you will ever meet. Years ago, there was an ad campaign for Avis Rental Car, and the ad campaign simply was, I hate to wait. Do you remember that? And in many ways, it spoke for the American people. Hartzell Cobbs, the great seminary professor, one time was speaking about patience, and he said this. He says, if this one thing were mastered, if we could just master patience, if this one thing were mastered, all other virtues would be taken care of. But by and large, we are not a patient people. We tend to view waiting as some sort of solitary confinement. Our minds wander, our senses grow dull, we start to chew on our nails. We don't wait well. Have you ever noticed that when people are standing in line, and I will be the first to acknowledge and to admit that I do this too, that almost immediately we pull out our cell phones and we start scrolling through Facebook or playing games, checking email, doing anything that we can just to pass the time because we hate to wait. Someone once said that the definition of a split second is that time between when the light turns green and the person behind you honks. That's a split second. We are not 
a culture that waits well. We have instant coffee. We have fast food. We have drive-through windows. We have microwave ovens. I even read recently that the number one shampoo on the market contains conditioners so that you can cut out that extra step. I don't know how much time you all are spending shampooing your hair, but apparently a lot. I think one of the reasons that we love our computers is because they give us instant results in a split second. And when they don't, have you noticed how frustrated we get? I once heard a comedian talk about how in his lifetime things have gotten so much faster. And he talked about when he was a child that they had, do you remember this, a rotary phone. Do you remember these? And not only that, but it was attached to the wall, so if you wanted to talk on the phone, you had to stand right there with it. And you had to put your finger in this hole and turn it all the way around and wait for it to come back. He pointed out that we used to hate calling someone with a zero in their number because we had to wait all the way for it to come back. This new technology has made everything faster, and I think in many ways that we are spoiled. I was noticing the other day that I was trying to get a signal on my phone, and it was taking a while, a little while to get through, and I had to remind myself that it is actually going to space, uh, and, and, and yet I found myself in patience. Like I said, it is not my spiritual gift now, people that are much smarter than me are telling us that all of this technology, that all of this instant gratification is taking our ability, taking away our ability just to be, just to be present, to be fully present in the moment, in good times, and hard times, and the minute that we start to feel that anxiety, that, that impatience, that loneliness, we start to feel that emptiness and we immediately pull out our phones reaching out to someone just so that we know that we're not alone. All that to say we aren't a patient people. We don't like to wait. We are a culture that seems allergic to the concept of waiting. But as I said, that's what the season of Advent is all about. It's not just about preparing but also waiting. The, the essential posture of Advent is waiting. But not, not the kind of waiting that seems trivial or unproductive, like waiting in traffic lines or long lines at the checkout counter, but, but the kind of waiting where you lean forward, where you lean forward with a sense of hope that life can get better with the inbreaking of God. It's a hopeful, it's an expectant waiting. I spoke last week about how things, uh, how it is that in the journey through Advent that we need as much as anything is finally reaching the destination of the barn in Bethlehem. But really, it's the journey of Advent that we need more than anything else. It's that journey that tells us how to slow down, how to take stock of what's most important, about what matters most, and then to give our attention to that. William Mole is a professor at Yale Divinity School, and he tells a story in his book, All the Damned Angels, about this group of parents that were waiting outside their children's preschool class. It was the Friday before Christmas, 
And they were waiting there, and pretty soon as the doors opened and all of the kids came running out, they were all holding this package, this beautifully wrapped package, something that they had obviously been working on for days, if not weeks, and they were so excited. They beamed with excitement. One little boy, as he's running out, tries to put his coat on while holding on to his package, and all of a sudden the package falls out, and you can hear the crash of breaking ceramic. All of a sudden the boy stops, and soon tears start to flow down his face. Pretty soon his father came and tried to comfort him and nailed down before him and says, Listen, buddy, it, it doesn't matter. It's okay. It, it doesn't matter. But his mom, much wiser in such affairs, swept the baby, swept the boy up into her arms and says, oh, oh, but it does matter. It matters a great deal. And she began to weep with her son. I wonder if part of the reason that the waiting in Advent is so hard is because we know just how much this matters. As I mentioned earlier, we are in this series, Draw Near. We're hoping to reawaken the wonder and the beauty of the season of Advent through the eyes and the ears of the artists who have gifted us with, with poetry and paintings, with music and movies and, and so much more that, that draw us into the wonder of Christmas. Maybe what we need more than anything else this time of year is to be reminded of the wonder of Christmas. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was a Polish-born American rabbi, one of the leading Jewish writers and philosophers and theologians of the 20th century, once said this. He said, never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. No, I asked for wonder. I asked for wonder, and God gave it to me. Last year, I visited the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum in Santa Fe, which is an exquisite, exquisite place. Georgia O'Keeffe was known as the mother of modern, modern, American modernism, and she's known uh, for a number of things, but most importantly, her, her paintings of those large flowers. And she said there was one little quote on one of the paintings that said this. It says, no one sees a flower. Not really. To look at a flower takes time in the same way that having a friend takes time. I wonder if that's part of the reason that we struggle with Advent because we are an impatient people. We are always in a hurry and as such we have difficult believing that we're gonna see anything new after all. After all, we know the story. We've heard it year after year. What could we possibly hear or see that we've not already heard or seen? I started thinking this week, I wonder if maybe in part that's the reason that we love to watch our children open Christmas presents, why we buy them so much stuff this time of year, because we see them with their eyes wide, their hearts filled with wonder and awe, and we see something in them that we have lost over time. H.O. Tanner was the first widely recognized 
African-American artist to gain international acclaim. He was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1859, and he would go on to enroll in the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philadelphia at the age of 20. He was the only black student in the school, and quickly, quickly, because of his talent, became the famous or the favorite painter of the famed artist Thomas Aikens, who had just recently started teaching there at that academy. Now, on the heels of the Civil War, racism in the United States made it difficult, if not impossible, for a black artist to make a living. And so he moved to France, where he found a, a more susceptible, more comfortable home base for his vocation. Now, Tanner grew up in a religious home, and so many of his most best, most famous works have a religious theme. In 1898, he painted the Annunciation, which you see there in the insert in your bulletin. It should be on the screen if you're watching from home. The Annunciation is considered Tanner's masterpiece. It now hangs, as you can see, in the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the city in which he was born. And it portrays an encounter between the Virgin Mary and the angel Gabriel who announces that she's going to be the one who's going to be the mother of the Christ child. Now what I love, what I love about this piece is that his depiction is beautiful and realistic, but also, also it's restrained. He doesn't allow you to miss the youth, the innocence, the commonness of Mary. Remember, she was 14, 15, 16 tops. He doesn't give her either facial expressions that communicate anything obvious. She looks rightly perplexed and concerned. But also what I love about this piece is the depiction of the angel. And instead of, of, of veering into the schmaltz, there is no halo, there's no wings. It's just light. Just light, not at all what you would expect. And all of that simply reflects how indescribable it must have been to encounter an angel. Notice, too, that Mary's clothes practically swallow her up, signifying that this, this, this role that this young girl is stepping into is far too large for her to fill. And the red cloth that hangs on the back wall seems to point to the pain that this incredible announcement will someday cause. But for now, Mary sits and she waits with a closed body posture but with eyes open to the wondrous possibility. Could it be true? Could it be true? The whole creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, Paul wrote. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. Now, the thing about labor pains, I suspect, is that it demands our full attention. And I would imagine that, that a mother going through contractions is not too worried about what else is going on in the world around her. In fact, nothing else matters outside of that delivery room. Nothing matters more than this. So here in the season of Advent, a time of waiting, we're a people that don't wait well. So how then shall we wait? 
Well, church, my hope and my prayer is that we will do so as fully present and as fully alive as we can, leaning forward with hopeful expectation, with eyes and hearts and arms wide open because the one that we are waiting for, church, the one that we are waiting for will come to us in the most unexpected of places and ways. We never know when or where that might happen or what it will look or feel like when it does. But when we least expect it, the hand of a small child reaches out to us and the world is reborn. And in that moment, in that moment, church, life will be made new by an infant king who is not of this world. So how do we wait with eyes, and hearts, arms wide open, fully present, fully alive, waiting for the one, waiting for the one that will change the world?